As we continue our series on the seven last words of Jesus from the cross, we arrive to the third word, which is affection, from John chapter 19, verses 16 to 27. Now in these final moments, they're very special, Jesus has already interceded for his enemies when he asked the Father to forgive them for they didn't know what they were doing. So we looked at forgiveness. Also, Jesus has just made the most wonderful promise, the promise of paradise to a dying criminal who pleaded for mercy. That is redemption. And the third word is actually addressed to two specific people who were keeping watch by the cross that afternoon. These were his mother and his beloved, beloved disciple John who wrote the gospel that bears his name. So we're going to look at what is behind this because I think out of all of Jesus' words from the cross, these is possibly the, the ones that are a little bit obscure and say, well, how does that actually apply to us? So we'll have to dig a little bit deeper and see what what these words of Jesus meant then and what they mean for us today. In verse 25, it's about sharing the pain. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Four women were there at the cross. These women were related in some way to Jesus and, the, and, the, and related to the, to the twelve and were among those women who served Jesus and his disciples in ministry, the most loyal followers. It is quite telling that these four women were near the cross, not far away watching, not far away watching from a distance, they were right there. They were there because they loved their Lord. They didn't desert him in life and they were not going to desert him now in his moment of suffering and death. They couldn't stay away. They loved him. They trusted him. Even when all seemed hopeless and lost. Now it did take courage for them to stand near, near the one who had been crucified. It took courage because I'm pretty sure that many of the authorities, the military and the enemies of Jesus would have been taken note of who was there because we know from history that persecution would start soon after. It would have been difficult to identify the people who were there. So it took courage for them to stand near the one who had been crucified. They also stood strong instead of shutting down in their grief, in their indescribable grief. One very important reason why they were able to stand strong is because they were able to stand together in their anguish and in their pain. Most of these women were the ones who would make their way to the tomb on that glorious Sunday morning, the morning of the resurrection. They, became, they have become 
they will become key witnesses and fully involved in the launch of the Christian church. Even from the, the early church, it would appear that women tend to do a much better job of being faithful followers than men. That is, of course, to our shame. But the time will come when these men will also get the courage to do what they needed to do. Now, who were these women who, who were there? Well, let's take a little bit of a closer look. The first one is, of course, his mother. The first time Mary is mentioned in the Gospel of John, Mary is at a wedding, the wedding at Cana. Little more than three years later, she is already preparing for a burial at Calvary. The two times that Mary is mentioned in the Gospel of John are like bookends in the life of Jesus. One at the start of his ministry, the other one at the closing of his ministry. We can also assume that Mary by this stage is a widow. Since we don't hear about Joseph till after, till, you know, it was the, the trip when, to Jerusalem when they lost Jesus at the age of 12. Who else was there? His aunt. We're pretty sure that Mary's sister was the mother who asked Jesus for special favours for her two sons, James and John, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, the sons of thunder. Their father was Zebedee, and according to Mark, her name was Salome. I'm sure the whole scene of the crucifixion challenged her one more time about the meaning of greatness. Remember, she went to Jesus pleading for her sons for a special place in Jesus' kingdom. And there was Jesus, crucified. Is this what greatness is all about? She must have been questioning. Who else was there? Another Mary, Mary the wife of Clopas. We don't know much about this woman except that she was married to a fellow named Clopas. Imagine that. And he must have been, the writer assumes, the writer John, he assumes that we know who Clopas is because he was well known in the early church. I followed this up a little bit more and it, 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 is, it is a possibility. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce, for example, believes that uh, you don't have to speculate too much that see that there is a very strong possibility that the, the two disciples who actually walked on the way to Emmaus and met Jesus could very well have been Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Clopas. So just a very slight difference in the name from Clopas to Cleophas. So, so it's very possible that it was a husband and wife with whom Jesus broke bread on the way to Emmaus. It is a possibility. Then we have Mary Magdalene, a woman radically changed by Jesus having had seven demons driven out of her. And after her healing, she travelled with Jesus and shared her material resources with, with this band of followers, serving Jesus faithfully. Before, her life was committed, inhabited by demons. She was serving Satan. 
Now, Jesus cleaned her house, occupied her life and she would devote her life to Jesus. Unfortunately, unfortunately, so much extra-biblical, fanciful material has been written about her to the point where they say that Jesus married, married Mary Magdalene and so on and so forth. All the rubbish that goes on. And this started very early on with the Apocrypha and other materials soon after the church began. Of course, there is John, the Apostle John, one of the, one of the close-knit group of Jesus' followers, Peter, James and John. And of the entire 11 devoted disciples, because by this time Judas had already done what he was going to do, there was only 11 disciples left and only one male follower showed up at the cross. Only one. That was John. So as far as we can tell, by just linking some of the verses together, we could assume that John, James and John were Jesus' first cousins. John the Baptist was Jesus' second cousin. But this John, from what we can assume, they were first cousins with Jesus. But he is there, he shows up at this crucial time after bailing out on Jesus earlier. They all ran away, but John came back and stood there at the cross. Here he is supporting his aunt, supporting his mother, and most importantly, supporting his Lord in the last moments. Years later, as he's led by the Holy Spirit to write the gospel that bears his name, he is the last surviving disciple. He is the one that lived the longest, well into his 90s. And he recalls the events of Calvary because he was there. He recalls, he tells it with graphic detail. He was there. And there they're all, this band of followers. Gone are the multitudes. The 3,000, the 5,000, the many thousands who even welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Gone. The disciples, the group of 70 that Jesus sent out. The 12 reduced to one. Where are they all? And yet here, this faithful group share the pain with Jesus. And it is this resolve of sticking together that enabled them to have the courage. They didn't care about the consequences. They were the ones who, that beautiful, glorious morning, before the break of dawn, went out to the tomb, not even thinking of the logistics of who's going to remove the stone. They wanted to minister to Jesus. They were there, the last ones. They were the first ones there. And they are, of course, the names are, are there in the upper room when the church was founded in Acts chapter 1, 
and chapter 2. From your experience and from my experience, as hard as it is to go through grief and pain and loss, it is way more difficult if you have to go through that on your own. When friends are suffering, some choose to stay away because they don't know what to say. It's a bit awkward. What am I going to say? So they choose to stay away. And on top of that, when our nerves are frayed, if you're the one that is going through the, the grief and the pain, if you're, your, your nerves are frayed, and some things that you say can be misinterpreted or interpreted wrongly. And we need to, as brothers and sisters, to be able to be graceful in both giving and receiving, in our words, in our serving. Sometimes being together with somebody who is grieving doesn't involve actually saying very much at all. Just being there is important. That is why God designed the church for fellowship. A family of God sharing together the joys and the pain. Sharing the care, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby... He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Now let's put ourselves in the sandals of Mary for a moment. And I know those of you who are mothers can understand this with a deeper way than us males who tend to be a little bit more knuckleheads when it comes to feelings and emotions and all that. But what are some of Mary's uh, troubles. In Luke chapter 1 verse 29 we're told that Mary was greatly troubled by the announcement of the angel. Luke chapter 2 verse 19, the shepherd's proclamation caused her to ponder these things in her heart. Luke chapter 2 verse 34 and 35, Simeon's prophecy stayed with her. Luke chapter 2 verse 34 and 35 again, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Having born a son who was to be the Saviour, would mean bearing a sword as well. Great privilege, great sorrow. When Jesus saw his mother there, Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding to death, struggling to breathe, as Jesus looks at his mother, he sees the sword skewering her soul. He can feel her agony and pain 
He knows what she is going through. He sees the look on her face as the soldiers roll the dice for his clothes, which she probably made for him. Would have taken a long time. She saw the child she bathed and fed, been stripped and flogged, and there is nothing she can do about it. So long before the soldiers speared Jesus' side to confirm that he was dead, it had already penetrated hers. Now notice that Jesus does not refer to Mary as mother. In fact, Jesus never called her mother in the Gospels. Jesus' mother appeared, like we said, twice in the Gospel of John, at the beginning and end of ministry. And at the wedding, when she asked him, at the wedding at Cana, when she asked him to do something to remedy the problem of running out of wine, Jesus says, woman, my hour has not yet come. What was he referring to, to this very hour? These are the bookends. Now, what, why, does, why does Jesus never call her mother instead, instead refers to her as, as woman? This is a big separation, this is a big difference between the, the Catholic way of interpreting this and, and the way that evangelicals do. Well, he calls a woman to reinforce the separation in order to complete the, the leaving process. To call someone dear woman was a, a term of respect and affection. She was available and faithful, but Jesus wants her to know that all earthly ties are now over. He wasn't disrespectful, but she needed to learn that he was a heavenly son and she was an earthly mother, which again is something that big difference between Catholics and Protestants. She was the human vessel that God used to bring his eternal son into the world. Nothing more, nothing less. So it reinforces, by calling her a woman, he reinforces the separation. It was also to protect her. Using the word mother would, would have inflicted more pain. In addition, by calling her mother the enemies of Christ would have inflicted more ridicule and scorn on her. Jesus obviously loved Mary too much to bring her more sorrow and grief than was necessary. Also, to establish his role as saviour. Mary must now relate to Jesus not as her son but as her saviour and Lord. The mother must become a fully devoted follower. She is not an intercessor. She is not a co-redeemer. She is not the queen of heaven. She does not contribute to salvation. And she is definitely not the fourth member of the Trinity. She is in need of salvation and redemption just like we are. Now you and I never and have never and, and never will 
experience the suffering that our Lord went through. But we have all suffered pain, more or less, to varying degrees. And there is something that I notice when we do suffer. When we do feel pain, it is hard to look beyond the pain. It is pain, our personal, the pain that we go through tends to close the doors and we tend to become introspective. We, we think about us, me. Hard to care for others when our own world is falling apart. When all is well, we have energy, we have confidence, we try to be there for others, to reach out in love, but when our needs and suffering is great, everybody else's pain is simply a bother to us. A common thought, sometimes expressed, hopefully not by this crowd here, is leave me alone, I've got enough problems of my own. Yet Jesus, with pain and grief, so overwhelming, is is, is still looking beyond himself and sees the pain and the needs of others. Never mind the fact that he is carrying the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Never mind the fact that he will be experiencing the abandonment by the Father. All of creation has has a, a deep interest. All of creation has a deep interest into what is happening on the cross here and now. And despite all this, he sees a mother who is about to lose her eldest son, her firstborn. He wants to make sure that she is taken care of and looked after. Verse 27, sharing the responsibility. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, in that culture, instructions were given by a dying man, uh, that were given by a dying man on his deathbed, were like carvings on stone. It's as if Jesus was preparing his will and executing it right there on the spot. Now, Western culture, Western civilizations tends to tends to minimise the role of the firstborn son. But this is not so in many parts of the world, especially in Africa. And certainly this is the case here. The role of the firstborn son is so important. And and this was an oral testament made in front of witnesses and now it is binding. He knew he couldn't take care of her any longer so he entrusts his mother, to John. She was a widow. She was already a widow by this stage. And, and since Jesus is the older son, he, he is responsible to take care of his mother even in her older age. Now, hard to imagine that even at this horrible scene, Jesus is fulfilling a most basic and sacred obligation that any son has. And that is the the fifth commandment, of course, which says, honour your father and your mother. 
even while performing redemption, Jesus faithful to his responsibilities as a son. Now normally, the, the, the role, the responsibility would be transferred on to his younger brothers. One problem is that they weren't there. Then, as Jesus' cousin, John was their closest male relative that was present. And finally, even, even more than physical, this was also spiritual care. At this stage, his brothers were not yet believers. And Jesus wanted to entrust her, his mum, to a follower. So he entrusted her to John. Because it's also about the spiritual care. And he says here that from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. John obeys the words of Jesus. John didn't question Jesus by saying, what about your brothers? Why don't, why don't they look after her? Can't they take care of your mother? And he immediately took her home to a house in Jerusalem and according to extra-biblical material, he even took her with him when he later moved to Ephesus before he was taken to, to an island, of course. His obedience was immediate, joyful, sacrificial and is a good example for us to follow because difficult days were going to happen straight after this in Jerusalem as the persecution started. And of course we know that the first, the first martyr uh, was actually James who was John's, John's brother, not Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother would later become uh, a leader in the church. Now we all need to honour our parents. It's amazing how much balance Jesus had even in this respect. Fully discharge his obligation. His obligation with regards to relationships. His relationship to the Father never compromised. His relationship to man never compromised. And when he honoured his earthly mother, he gave us an example to do the same. At the very basic level, we also need to express love to our parents. Someone has said that if you're too busy to love your parents, you're simply too busy. Try and honour them, care for them, attend to them, because there are moments when you are doing their burial that uh, you will have regrets. The less regrets, the few. The less regrets, the less you're going to um, feel bad about yourself and you're saying, look, I've done everything I could possibly do. Now, this is also obviously a template for the church. I want to take you back to the words of Jesus to a rich man. He had a lot. He wanted to become a follower of Jesus. Mark chapter 10 tells us about this. And the man turned away because Jesus told him to sell everything, give to the poor. And Jesus said how hard it will be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
And then Peter, good old Pete, he gets up and says, Lord, you know, uh, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, and these words, Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and the Gospels, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with, and this is the one we don't like, persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. Where in this life are we going to receive a hundred children, a hundred mothers? answer is the church. The family of God. When Jesus says to Mary, look on John as your son and to John, look on Mary as your mother, he is showing us how our needs are to be met when we have left everything to follow him. Because there are brothers and sisters who have been shunned, disowned by their own family for the sake of Christ. Maybe that is your own story. Your family, your mum and dad, your brothers and sisters don't want anything to do with you because you are a Christian. That is the story certainly for many brothers and sisters around the world. But they become part of God's family, the church. And when Paul wrote to young Timothy, who was leading a church at the time, he said to him in 1 Timothy 5, 1-4, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, those should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The church was founded by a family man. The church is not a building but a group of people who have been redeemed and given entirely new relationships. We are called to relate to one another as brothers and sisters, doing whatever we can to care for one another. Jesus calls us, he shows us, he empowers us to strive for something better, something higher than what the world offers a supernatural way to live. The only way we can do this is to draw on his grace, keep dishing out the love that he pours in us. Don't be a reservoir, be a channel. Even when you feel battered, when you feel the squeeze, not bitterness, but may a sweet juice come out of us. Keep giving out his encouragement even when things are discouraging. Keep delivering his word even when it seems no one is listening. 
Let's share the pain, share the care, share the responsibility and model to the world what the church of Jesus Christ is really all about. May God bless us. Amen.